0: Everybody, I'm Gary Eversoll.
1: Richard Kipling here,
0: and I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. Our guest in this episode is the well-known sexologist, Dr. Pepper Schwartz. Before Richard introduces us to Dr. Schwartz, I have a very nice Codger moment to share. Last week my wife B. and I were in San Francisco visiting my son and his family. B. really wanted to take a cable car ride. Me, not so much. I've lived in San Francisco for many years and consider this city as my real home, even though I live in Santa Fe now. I told her it just wasn't cool to do such a touristy thing. She had her heart set on it, and I relented. When we boarded the cable car down by Giardelli Square, we decided to go full-tourist and hang on to the outside of the cable car. As we were getting on and took our standing positions, this nice young man insisted that we take his seat on the bench. He was adamant. We must sit. We tried to decline, but B finally agreed to sit to make him happy. We started chatting with him and the older woman he was with. We discovered he was from Angola and taking his grandmother on a tour of California where he'd lived after attending college in Michigan. His insistence that one of us sit was simply something seniors in the U.S. seldom experience. Respect for his elders. There was no way in his Angolan culture that he could ride the cable car sitting while an elder was standing. It was simply unacceptable. Ageism? You bet. You bet but delivered in such a sweet, positive way. I'll take another helping of Angolan ageism. Richard, introduce us to Dr. Schwartz.
1: Is there sex after 70? I should know this. I'm 79 years old. Back in my heyday, the 60s and 70s, the free love generation was alive and very well. Attitudes towards sex and relationships were fluid. You meant, you dated, you did or you didn't have sex and you wandered into the next relationship. Some were casual, a few were serious. But it was pretty loose. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll was the motto after all, and I was part of some of that. But what about now, 50 years later? <laughs> between the difference in our ages and bodies compared to then, plus the differences in society and technology and health aids between then and now, how do we seniors navigate? Well. We have an esteemed guest expert to help us row through those muddy waters. Dr. Pepper Schwartz is a sociologist and sexologist at the University of Washington who has done extensive research on sexuality and relationships. She is a popular speaker on such subjects and has appeared on television, given a TED Talk, and is the acclaimed author of 26 books, 26 books on love, sexuality, and commitment several of which have been featured on Oprah. She holds a PhD in sociology from Yale and is a former president of the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexualities. In other words, she's a busy person. She's chatting with us today from her home outside Seattle. Welcome Pepper Schwartz to Camp Codger.
2: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Let me begin by asking you what led you to pursue this very special career?
2: Oh, gosh. The long story is kind of funny. When I was 11, my mother gave me a little sex ed book, put it in the linen closet and Mm -hmm. said, you know, you can read this when you're ready. And it wasn't the way it is now. I mean, it was all about sperm and egg and reproduction, but it was progressive. It had, you know, things about sex is healthy and good and masturbation is okay. It's not going to, you know, it's not terrible. And So I I read that, and then one day uh, my friend Francie came running over sobbing in tears and told me that her mother had caught her touching herself, quote-unquote, down there and told her she was evil and going to hell. And I told her, Francie, no, you are not going to hell. You're going to the linen closet, and uh, we're going to look at this book and read it. It's going to say you're okay. So she did, and it was very comforting to her. Uh, we were 11. We believed anything we read in the book was real. <laughs> That's how young we were. I went to my mom and I said, Mom, we've saved Francie. We could save others. So my mother called up about six or seven of my friend's mothers and said, we're going to be talking about sex education in our little knotty pine basements. And would you like to come? And people came and the girls came and we talked. I mean, I, I'm sure we talked a lot of things that weren't true, but we talked which was unusual at that time. I'm 78, so I'm right in your generation. And I think what it did was it demythologized it for me. And I think if I was to look a little deeper, it was kind of fun to have information that people didn't have and wanted to know. It didn't affect my profession until I went to Yale. And at Yale, they we were doing a book about the first year of women at Yale that had been previously male at the undergraduate level. So I started yeah. writing pretty early they had a sex course there for the first time since Kinsey had a course on college campuses. Because I was doing this book, I took a a role as a discussion leader and I was appalled at what I was reading. I was, I mean, it was the best there was, but it was still lots of opinion and prejudice. And so I kind of switched from studying the family per se and started being interested in this. And my, um, advisor at at the department told me I was going to ruin a perfectly good career. (laughs) I think that's the way you phrased it. Um, But I didn't care, you know, feminism, all that. I was off to the races.
1: Let me ask you this. Our generation, the boomer generation, grew into adulthood, most of us, with a very different view of sex and intimacy than their parents had. How has that view, the boomer view, manifested itself as boomers grow into old age?
2: Of course, when we talk about boomers, we talk about them in a unitary way, and it's not really true. Probably only about a fifth of boomers live the life you described um, that I lived as well, but not everybody did. If I were going to personify a whole generation, I'd say we kind of want to live forever, and we want to live young and vital forever. Sadly, (laughs) we found that there's some limits to what we can do by sheer force of will, but that said, that said... Um, you know, I don't think my mother worked out ever. You know, I mean, I do think that we live a healthier lifestyle. We we exercise. We watch what we eat. We, we wear jeans just like our kids and our grandkids do. And yeah. so yeah. you might expect that sex would be part of that. And to some extent, it is. But if you look at the research, things do start to fall off in terms of frequency after age 70. We do pretty well in the 50s and 60s have a sex life that would be recognizable to us if we have a partner, big difference between people who are single and have partners. But then I think the reality of everything from changing needs to uh, changing organs do in fact affect us. And the statistics of who's doing any kind of sexual experience are somewhat disappointing to me because I think of sex not only as pleasure, but kind of as both a marker of health and a creator of health. And so I think when people put it aside, mm-hmm. it's to a long-term detriment as well as a short-term pleasure.
1: Well, what are the numbers? What do you see when you hit 70 or 80? Well,
2: in general, first of all, a lot of statistics stop measuring at 65. You know, like someone embalmed us. <laughs> you know, do we fall off the face of the earth because we left the 60s? Um, you'd think we did. So the research is scattered and somewhat i think unreliable after 70 but i think i think the important thing is there's pretty much an elevator drop in the 70s and really in the 80s where mm. you have at least half of the people in the 50s and 60s having sex at least you know once or twice a month and then you get to the 70s and if you don't have a partner you don't have much partnered sex at all i mean you're not running around like you might have been in 25. You are not. If you're in your 70s, you probably have less than 20% of the coupled people having sex as often as a couple times a month. Masturbation, you right. start to get a real decline even in that. You know, it's available. It's good for you. Why not? Masturbation is still tabooed by a lot of people religiously. When you take a look at the statistics of people who are highly Satisfied with their sex lives over 70, more women than men. And I think it's because men are really devastated, many of them having the loss of easy, hard erections as they used to, and they withdraw, they retreat, even from wives who are interested. It's a big psychological as well as physical thing because there's lots of things men can do about it. It gets very complex for men, and then you get women going like, "Ah, I can take it or leave it. Most of the men don't feel that way. It's not as self-affirming a a behavior as it was before.
0: Probably a little bit of tension between our self-perceptions. We kind of joke at times that we find it hard to believe we're as old as we are. I'm thinking, I'm 74? No, no, no. I think I'm 50. And when I was 50, I thought I was more sexually active. And, And here we are. The reality is, I'm 74 and feel like 74 sometimes. Not all the time. You know, our perceptions of our sexual behavior and sexual Mm -hmm. being are different.
2: Yeah. And I think they're very aligned with health. If you're, you know, out there running or doing things that you used to do and still can do, I think our illusion of youth is still, you know, protectable. But, you know, if you start to have some of the medical things that do start for unluckier people much earlier you know, what starts to happen is I think we boomers do want to stay young as much as we can, as long as we can. And then every now and then you start to get disconfirming evidence. And the question is, what do you do with that? How much do you fight to regain it? Or how much do you, you know, deal with it and still hold on to all the other stuff that you you can? I almost think that sex after 70 is a will and a discipline. Not that we can't feel sexy, but if you don't continue, you know, it's like if I said, I'm going to let my left arm go for 10 years, my left arm, would I forget to use it, I would think, oh, it doesn't function and, and, or I wouldn't go and, you know, exercise it. My left arm would simply wither, you know, it wouldn't work, but we really do want that left arm. So if we have some problem, we'll, you know, we'll work with it. We'll make sure that left arm works because we prize it. I mean, it's like getting tennis elbow. You could just say, oh, I'll give up tennis or no. How do I fix my elbow? So I guess I turn into sort of an evangelist for, you know, working to protect this part of ourselves, which in every way is part of our health program, and to not just say, okay, that's done. You know, you kind of have to fight for it.
3: Mm -hmm. We don't get a lot of messages in the media and in, in social settings that being a sexy senior is a good thing. Is that part of the problem?
2: Definitely. I was so happy that The Bachelor now has this golden bachelor thing going on. He's 71, handsome man. And I was relieved to see that they, and the ads they put in some women. And some of the women are his age. Some of them are somewhat younger. But there's no, you know, 30, 40 years old in there. Thank goodness. Just because of the message, right? All these cultural messages that we get. But, yeah, no, there's this idea somehow that if you're sexually alive in your 70s and 80s, you know, it's either cute, which I hate, or it's um, <laughs> right. lechery in some way.
1: Yes, and,
2: right, yes. Yeah, No, the culture would love to, you know, bury us before we're gone. Again, have to fight back. Here's who I am, here's what I do, here's what I celebrate. It's a way of being, you know. I mean, when you're with a woman or a man, depending on man-man or woman-woman or whatever, people who are animated by their physical self, you can tell people who are afraid of it, you can tell. And I think a lot of us are afraid of it because we've been told we're ridiculous. You have to fight against all these cultural messages that I think people are. I mean, one of the things I've seen a lot more is very late marriages, 70s and 80s. I think people yes. Yes. are claiming their ability to love and love strongly throughout the love life cycle. And it includes our sexual self, which doesn't necessarily mean intercourse, by the way. I mean, It may be obstructed by health concerns. It doesn't mean there can't be ways of giving each other an orgasm or being sexually alive. Things change and we can go where, you know, where does our fun and pleasure lie to what we can do? I do think it needs discussion and I'm really glad you brought it up because a lack of discussion doesn't help us in this area. You know, we just retreat more.
0: One of the things you'd mentioned that we don't associate an active sex life with being older. We're not allowed to talk about it because it seems so, right. to many younger people, not the right thing. There's something wrong about people that are sexually intense and active when they're older.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fight on so many platforms. Sex itself, age itself, our discomfort with age itself. I mean, we're not, particularly in America,
4: mm-hmm.
2: we're not from a culture where we venerate age. You know, we're not necessarily seen as wise. And I, and I do think older people if not wise they're certainly wiser than they were and you know do have a lot to offer the world in terms of life experience and part of that is our sexual self as well right i think you're right ageism itself is an issue and this is the perfect generation to fight it because we've we've had a very privileged passage yep. through this world <laughs> we certainly have and we certainly do this is another area where we can change the meaning of things as we did you know, long ago.
3: Where, where do people get information about sex in their 70s? Uh, sex as an older adult. Are doctors a good source for sex information?
2: When I was young, in the 70s, when I, I was a young professor, I had an adjunct in the medical school, and I would lecture all the medical students. talk about how to talk about sex and what to look for. There are very Mm -hmm. few medical schools that still do that. Uh, My friend and colleague, Eli Coleman, who started this what's now called the Eli uh, Coleman Institute for Gender and Sexuality at the University of uh, Minnesota Medical School has been on the forefront of trying to train doctors. They did in fact, we funded a professorship of the Pepper Schwartz professorship is funded on uh, sexuality and aging, and there will be a lot more coming out. They do have a clinic on sexual issues at the medical school there. I mean, I don't know how many places are really educating doctors, but I think sometimes we have to say, you know, let's try and say, at least ask a question. Are you sexually active? Do you have any issues you'd like to talk over? If they're not comfortable, tell you who to go to. That said... Not that many people, you know, are in fact trained to talk about these things. If you go to Amazon or one of the online book places and you say sexuality and aging, there are books, there are things to read for both men and women and for uh, both gay and straight and fluid types of people. There's actually quite a bit written now. But I think, in terms of a person, you know, what you have to do, and most people aren't brave enough to do this, is either Find out if it your hospital or medical plan is somebody who's in sexual medicine, and go there, or at least, you know, become an activist and say, if there's not, why isn't there? I mean, what's your referral program? It's in Seattle. I only know of one person who I refer to endlessly, who does actually have a practice that was trained in sexual medicine. Sometimes the proctologist, the gynecologist, those people, you know, will will have studied up a little bit, but. You know, we're still kind of a prudish country. So I would say your, your best bet is uh, two things. One is to go look for the right books. The other thing is ASEC, the American Association of Sexuality, and they can tell you in your state, you know, who these uh, kind of specialists or people who are at least comfortable with approaching these issues are. So ASEC is probably your best bet in terms of people who actually... Hmm. Uh, work on these issues person to person.
1: Pepper, I'm just wondering, could you paint us a picture of a successful, senior, intimate relationship? What does that look like for us?
2: Oh, I use mine.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: good, because well, the, us guys aren't, aren't real good at talking about this. So please, please enlighten us.
2: You're affectionate. You touch. You kiss. You hold hands. You create that connection. And if it's not there, talk about it and say, well, why don't we hold hands more? Or let's kiss on hello or goodbye. It's hard to go from cold to hot. I would also say, "Okay, take care of yourself. We all like our partner to look Mm. good. If we're really, really overweight, let's Mm. work on it together. If we're never dressed up, let's have a date out. We're creatures with eyes, we care about the other person's looks. And you can sometimes see somebody's just no longer trying to please the other one aesthetically. And you don't have to be an adonis. you don't have to be a perfect weight, And you don't have to dress up all the time. But I'd say hygiene, I mean, all these things matter, you know, let's try and mm-hmm. please each other. And, you know, understanding that, you know, we don't look like we're 30. But still, we can look good. Like we care. Yeah, my husband used to say because I wore a lot of grays and black, and he said, I, we're, we're color, for goodness sakes. I'm wearing color, you know, because he, he likes it. You know, he's not around, I'll wear black.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then I would say, you have to communicate. What, what, what do you like? What do you not like? Don't have the same bodies. They don't function the same way. What do you need from me? You know, maybe the guy had an automatic erection before and he doesn't anymore. What's the issue? maybe we go and see what what are available things do we say okay you have appointment sex you know it's been two weeks Saturday night reserve it you know go get a take a blue pill or whatever it is you do and uh, you know make <laughs> sure there's lubrication make sure we're not causing any pain to our partner if you're not losing using lubricant, you are in denial go get some lubricant It was interesting I had a friend who, um, they divorced. I understood from her and she'd been too embarrassed to ever talk to me about this was a good friend that she and her husband hadn't had sex in 10 years and she didn't know if she could physically do it anymore. You know, I took her to a sex toy shop and she, she literally needed to get expanders, which are these series of things to sort of replicate a penis. Although they start as narrow as a pencil, you insert them and you get the muscles reworking to allow penetration and she literally had to do that for months before she could actually even accommodate a penis physically these things happen you know and so you go okay what do we need to do to be able to have sex whether it's for a man using suction or taking salis or viagra or it's an implant or whatever it is let's find out about it or hey we're not gonna have intercourse but all of those nerves are intact clitoris is as good as it ever was there's a lot we can do for each other to please each other and you figure it out you find your path and you make appointments when we were young you'd make a date for saturday night you'd wait all week and you'd be excited about it oh my gosh well block out time before um you know a lot of people when you're young you can get away with it when you're old you can't they use trash time for sex okay we're going out to dinner we've seen our company we've done everything we have to do now it's 11 o'clock well if you're older you're not going to have wild, crazy, well, you may not have wild, crazy sex anytime, but you sure as hell aren't going to have it after a long day and a big dinner after 11 o'clock. You're going to go to bed and sleep. <laughs> so, I mean, you have to be intentional in a way that makes it happen. and And then you can have a very satisfying sex life together, whatever pieces you individually put together. But it's important, you know, not to... Put it on automatic pilot. It won't happen if it's on an automatic pilot, or it happened very rarely.
0: It's a good idea scheduling date nights. We think it's something that for younger people to do, but even as we're older, even though we have this all this time on our hands, you really need to commit.
2: Uh... Well, you do. It's interesting. I used to before COVID, I'd have a big New Year's Eve party every uh, New Year's, but mostly I did it to get my husband in a tux. Everybody had to dress up.
3: your comment just then popped an idea into my head how much of the sexual relationship is driven by the woman in a uh, male female partnership
2: well I think it interestingly does change I think when men are younger they're in charge maybe because we were in a more gendered world then as well right but I think what happens as people get older is a lot of times some women still wait for the guy to be the, you know, the leader in that area. And if he's not, you know, it all goes sideways. Sometimes it does lead hmm. to the woman who has to be you know, sometimes a little motor in this engine that is really reversal of what it might have been when, when they were younger. So I'll tell you, the important thing is somebody has to be. It doesn't actually almost matter who it is, but someone has to be like caretaker of this area or it just kind of slips away.
0: There is still a tentativeness that we all experience. Even as we get older, you'd think something as common as sex wouldn't make us feel that tentative. But I think there's still part of that in all relationships. And you got to overcome that, I guess.
2: Well, first of all, you know, there's a kind of tentativeness about sex anyhow these days. You know, what's the right Right. thing? What's the wrong thing? What's too aggressive? What's not aggressive enough? Without a care, lots of mistakes and a lot of inappropriateness and some terrible things as well. But not this tentativeness that, oh, my goodness. And so it probably creeps into relationships as well. And if you're single out there, oh, my goodness, Mm. you really have to be very careful about how you approach it. But on the other hand, you can just say as a single person, am I on the right track here? You know, what how are you feeling about this? You know, I find you very attractive. Would you want to go back to my place for a drink or whatever? If you're there, you know, what is it you want? How do you feel? Am I you comfortable? I mean, we didn't do any of that stuff, but you have to do it now. You do. So first, mm-hmm. still, you have to be harder. more explicit. You have to be very explicit. You know, honestly, the communication shouldn't spoil anything. Obviously, you're not sending someone a checklist. But you do have to be checking in. Is this good? Is this mutual? Am I proceeding in a direction that makes you comfortable or uncomfortable? That probably could have saved us some aggravation long ago as well. There's a quote by Lillian Hellman, the author, which I use in ways she didn't. And she said, people change and forget to tell each other. And I think that's very true in sex. Yeah. We we have to talk it's, about it's, who we are now yeah. and where am I getting my pleasure from? Are we touching or kissing in the right way? Are there things that don't we don't enjoy that we used to? What are the things that make us in the mood? Do we need a glass of wine? Whatever it is, we need to talk. And we've been told not to talk about sex, but just to do it. We need mm. to talk. We need to find out who we are these days.
1: Does sex mean a different thing to men than to women? Is there just an essential difference in the act and the emotion coming out of the act for each gender?
2: That's a great question. I remember early on in my research, we were finding that dating couples gave a different answer to whether or not they'd had sex. Uh, We wondered if there was a mistake, if the question was unclear. But there were women saying they had sex and men saying they didn't. Same couple, I didn't understand it because usually, if someone was going to deny having sex, dating, it'd be more likely in that age to be the woman. So what was it? Well, the man didn't consider it sex unless he had an orgasm. So even if there had been penetration, if he didn't have an orgasm, he didn't call it sex. I think mm. there mm. is a thing with men: if they're not having an orgasm, what's the point? Where with women. Um, They're used to being on and off orgasmic. You know, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. That's one difference. I think the importance of orgasm, of ejaculation for men. I think sex also is misunderstood by a lot of people as being very narrow. It's just intermission. People understand what is sexual in very different ways. It's it's a spectrum, and I think we're more alike than different.
0: This has really been good time we really appreciated your conversation could you tell our audience where they might find more about you
2: sure i have a website drpepperschwartz.com. um if you go on amazon you can find a lot of my books not all of them but some of them the latest book is called relationship rx and i did that with jessica griffin who is a psychologist and trauma expert Uh, we used to be on married at first sight together so we became good friends there. I'm still on Married at First Sight. So if you go to lifetime.com or MarriedAtFirstSight.com, <laughs> you can find me in various clips and the whole programs. The program is going into its 18th season, which is shocking. <laughs> Who knew? Oh, we we do two wow. seasons a wow. year, so <laughs> it's more like 10 years. But, you know, something I thought, well, this will be fun for once has now become a major part of my life. We're, we're filming in Chicago now. We'll be filming in Austin next, and Denver's just about to go on air. Relationship Rx, that we take a look at three different levels of problems, what I would call easily fixed problems. We call them vitamin answers. Important things that we still feel people could fix. We call them medicine issues. And then we have the CPR level where we really think you need to go and see a, a professional. We put it that way because sometimes people think a vitamin level issue is a CPI level, and sometimes people think a CPR level is a vitamin level issue. So we look at a lot of things to see if we can get people to the right answer and, and some suggestions for issues they may have. But not just sex, but relationships.
1: Can you give us the title again?
2: Relationship Rx.
1: Relationship Rx.
2: And it's by Jessica Griffin and Pepper Schwartz.
1: Pepper, thank you again for... And listeners, we certainly hope that you'll let us know your thoughts on sex and seniors by zapping us a comment. Thanks
0: for listening. Join us next week for another episode of Camp Codger. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com. Post a comment at www.campcodger.com or leave a voicemail at 505 216 6171.